Hello, this is Fred Ottman, Tugboat Typhoon, the Shockmaster, the B-A-double-D, Big Steel Man. And you're listening to BBGWrestling.com. And welcome to another episode of Hands Off the Merchandise on BBGWrestling.com. I am Pablo, and I want to thank you all for tuning in, especially to our previous episode with Brian Solomon, former WWF writer and current PWI uh, contributor. Uh, one of our highest rated episodes, and uh, yeah, I want to thank you again for all the tremendous feedback. Now, Hands Off the Merchandise, we interview you know, uh, personalities and people on the periphery of professional wrestling, such as filmmakers, photographers, uh, video game developers. And today is someone who I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, talk about? You're here. I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to chat with you. Um, I have the director of Out in the Ring, uh, which is an L- uh, LGBTQ uh, plus pro, res- pro wrestling documentary, which has a, a, a fundraiser on Go Get Funding currently. Lots of incredible perks, and uh, all links will be provided at the end of the show and below the show as well. I have with me Rye Levy. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I, I always tell everybody that I try to give a really good introduction and then we can just go downhill from there and just, you know, <laughs> talk about anything, you know. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, um, you may be my first Canadian guest, so we're really uh, going oh. worldwide at this point. Um, what's Toronto like at the moment? Well, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a little bit of a lockdown again. Um, the city kind of... Um, We've had some problems here with people gathering in large groups, so that's kind of uh, led to some uh, increase in COVID infections. So we're uh, slowly getting past that, and so I'm under uh, lockdown right now for for at least till the middle of December. So uh, it, I can still go out and go grocery shopping and things like that, but in terms of uh, you know getting out there and really uh, you know being able to uh, live a live a live a really active life right now most of my most of my stuff is just me basically working online uh work between editing with my editor in la on out in the ring and then working on my my day job and that's uh, in film distribution and publicity so i've been i've been just basically sending out press releases try to push the crowdfunding and continue to edit the uh the film so that we can be ready next year and, and we'll certainly get more into the crowdfunding as well because there's some incredible perks and uh, we're going to talk about some of the uh, the personalities involved uh, in the movie, uh, in the documentary, I should say, along, uh, you know, including one of my favorite lady wrestlers of all time, Susan Green, um, wow. which, yeah, very, very excited about that. Um, and not too long ago, I had a, a really, um, what would the word be, uh, filthy basically chat with Effie who's um, <laughs> who's tons of fun um yeah so we're in lockdown as well so uh you know I'm currently in full podcasting mode and um you know I, with the type of work that you do you can work from home which I'm sure is uh a huge plus at the moment especially with the crowdfunder yeah you know I mean it's uh, it's a different space I mean on since March um it's not always easy but you know you get it done I mean if anything happened you know the unfortunate thing is we lost you know 
lost out on the opportunity to film uh, what we were gonna, what we thought would have been the original ending of the film uh, back in April at Effie's Big Gay Brunch. And so, with everything that happened with COVID, uh, that kind of changed that. So we were forced to pivot. We've gone with another uh, focus in terms of making sure that uh, we still kind of hit the uh, same idea of where you know the positive. Um, positive uh, movement toward uh, where uh, LGBTQ pro wrestlers are going currently. Uh, we hit another uh, snag, of course, in May when we discovered the the issues around the speaking out um, controversy. Yeah. Uh, speaking out was a big deal. Uh, it did affect the film. The speaking, the major speaking out issue that we had in the film, and I won't go into it because I don't want to give that individual um, any, any more... Uh, any more uh, ink than they've been getting on their own. They can, they're welcome to do that themselves. And uh, they were particularly good to me uh, during the production of the film. So uh, I'll leave it, I'll leave them being kind of without mentioning their name because we've, we've removed them from the film in their entirety. And that, that caused a big problem, but we were aware of that controversy Back in December, when first uh, allegations against them came out, and uh, then some other inappropriate uh, uh, things like tweets and such came out, um, it got worse again in May. But we had already made an active effort to remove those people, uh, but we hadn't been able to address what was going on with speaking out. Uh, so when the when everything kind of happened, we lost um, a few of our allies that were in the film. We've removed people that were there. And we were hit as well with some people that were kind of in the background that were also part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, what this did, though, was the pandemic had allowed for me to address some of those issues that Speaking Out raised in terms of uh, the effect on um, cause in, um, what was basically predominantly female wrestlers, but also allow us to address it with some of the LGBTQ wrestlers who had experienced their own, some of who had experienced their own issues within the industry. And so that, you know, when, when opening up the film, we were able to kind of, you know, bring in the importance of creating a safe space for LGBTQ plus pro wrestlers, not just, you know, um, not just in general, but specifically for them as well, because of course they are often a target of a lot more abuse um, from fans. There's certainly a lot more um, of an issue there. And the idea that some of these LGBTQ plus promotions were there to provide that kind of safe space, an opportunity for them to work to be able to reach out to fans and build kind of on their own characters outside of just working the general promotions. So they had both going on. And with that, we were able to address some of the safety issues within those promotions that were deemed to be safe spaces for them and how they could be improved, but also how just in general the industry should be addressed and how this could be dealt with. So it did help with us uh, in terms of being able to uh, address something that we had kind of been a little light on. We didn't know how to approach it when we were first um, introduced to an issue with one of our um, subjects who was in the who was in the film early on. Uh, it's a better film now for this happening. It's unfortunate that it happened, but it allowed us to open a discussion and create a dialogue around safety and the issues within pro wrestling. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that the documentary would have done this anyway, but with uh, the unfortunate, I mean, I'm in the UK and it was 
huge here and we'll not focus on this but um it is such a shame that you know uh, um i mean this even as a, like a gay wrestling fan i didn't it didn't personally affect me but there were people who i knew who were involved in all of it and it's just it's horrible because otherwise they were seen as allies of the lgbtq community as well and like you say it's affected your uh, your documentary and it has certainly affected a larger fan base and it's it's out even outside of the lgbtq fan base as well and um from what i've seen it has brought wrestling fans together because wrestling fans can be quite opinionated argumentative and stuff but we can all agree that you know this is something that needed to be certainly taken care of and um it seems that i mean from my point of view it seems that you know obviously this hasn't been brushed under the carpet but it does seem that it's been dealt with in a professional caring way by anyone involved and anyone who was affected by it and um it does seem hopefully like something that wrestling can move on from but with this in mind it's like a we can't go back to that i think it's a little more difficult than that i actually do uh, i don't know if all wrestling fans actually believe that uh, this should have happened that uh i mean i've certainly heard the other side of this coin uh, there are there is a segment. It's predominantly a straight cisgender male uh, component that is saying this. But I've seen them, you know, address, you know, oh well, you know, when David Starr was um, David Starr and and Joey Ryan, who I have no problem bringing up uh, the other individual. Okay, I, just I, I wasn't sure if I could bring, should bring up names, but if you're, I, I, don't, I, I don't mind bringing them up, they're out okay. there. Those names are out there. Um, the other individual that was in my film, we don't bring up because I feel like because they're part of the lgbtq community i want to have my film be a spotlight on them but i don't have a problem bringing up david Starr and joey ryan for two reasons and two re for one for a main reason being that i think their behavior uh is completely uh disgusting it's inappropriate uh it's hypocritical and i think that that's where we've had a problem in that you know there were allies or quote unquote, what we thought were allies. And Joey Ryan and David Starr were very vocal about, you know, speaking out against people like Jim Cornette when they spoke out in inappropriate ways, calling into question behaviors and toxic masculinity. And to have those two individuals kind of be two major figures on the independent wrestling circuit globally be brought to question it caused a big issue and it certainly did because a lot of these people were so entrenched you know and it was you know for L some lgbtq wrestling talent i mean it was a bit of a betrayal uh i haven't gone into any great you know detail and obviously there's no comfortable way of bringing it up you know something like joe what happened with joey ryan to somebody like sunny kiss who did work with joey and they shared a storyline Sonny, I love. He's amazing and a wonderful person. And I, you know, there's just nothing to discuss because I think you can just, you know, you can just assume that there's a level of pain there and there is a level of betrayal. Um, there was a level of betrayal because I knew Joey. I didn't know David, but I knew Joey. And I, I liked Joey and we interacted and we got to know each other a bit. Uh, wasn't one of my best friends in the world. Like we were having, you know, we were gathering all the time and hanging out. Um, I, you know, but 
it did make the situation very uncomfortable. There are wrestlers in my film as well who have also been who have also spoken out. Uh, I'm not going to bring up, you know, um, the, the the individual who made accusations against somebody else. And people will know who they are because they, they those those places are there. But it's, again, not my space to speak on their behalf about how they feel. Uh, there's statements out there in the media. I can talk about David and Joey and saying that I felt betrayed that two people who stood up in such a bold and and in a positive way to supposed as an ally to people who were supposed to be uh, oppressed and were being discriminated against, then to have that have the amount of accusations, the number of accusations come out against those people and the way in which they responded. Uh, obviously, yeah. David, has, David has kind of gone away. We're not really hearing from him. He's not really saying anything. Um, he's, uh, you know, but Joey, on the other hand, um, I've got to be honest, can't shut up. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, David, at the, at the beginning of all this, couldn't shut up either. And I think he finally got the message. Um, I mean, because David is someone who I've interviewed a lot of times and I, we got along very well. He knew that I was gay. He didn't make any inappropriate comments to me or anything like that. But, you know, obviously, I, I feel obviously let down by what he has done and everything. Do you think, okay, we'll get off this, but do you think that, you know, people like that use the LGBT thing as a way to develop a fan base or to get into a certain position of influence or to sort of, you know... No, the I way think... that because there are like youtubers who made it big who use their position of power to you know um have inappropriate relationships or to do inappropriate things and stuff like that and well i do think that that's just a general thing i mean anybody who's in kind of a quote-unquote position of power or influence uh or fame you know it's 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 not this is not an isolated incident uh no. it just seemed to come to a head in wrestling in a way uh, it targeted two individuals who had uh, been, you know, basically were called out for a form of hypocrisy. And that's where the betrayal thing comes in, is when you've been an ally and you've been a positive voice, and to have those, you know, those people kind of be the ones that were called out, it actually, it, it does negative things because when they were calling out other people for saying inappropriate things and doing inappropriate things, yeah, it, you know, it just, you know, it, people are going to be less likely to take somebody, uh, you know, to trust somebody. I, th I think just like with some of the UK names that were, you know, involved in this as well, because, you know, I don't think it's out of turn for me to say that there have been rumours for years about UK wrestlers um, being inappropriate with younger girls, etc. And it sounds awful, but I guess it was either not, I mean, it wasn't, it obviously wasn't taken seriously enough, or it was kind of seen that wrestling, would, or UK wrestling was its own little world where you can kind of do this you know, to a point, I'm not saying it at all, everyone, but it does seem that there was kind of this level of acceptance. Cause I mean, wrestling's crazy anyway. Like it, it's nothing for someone to 
watch a Chris Benoit match now or a Jimmy Snooker match and stuff like that. You know, I think wrestling fans do have a high tolerance level when it comes to separating the wrestler from the personality uh, or from the real person. But I think with this hitting home on such a personal level for a lot of people, it's a very different situation because it feels it it could happen to any one of us as fans instead of like these crazy out there situations like the Benoit thing. Well, this is a global problem. I mean, this is a yeah. problem that's been going on since this, this is not on. This is not a new issue. It's not a new problem. I mean, if you look at the behavior of the men. Of mostly men, and I won't say that it's all men, uh, but you look at behavior of the majority of men uh, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s in terms of, you know, the reference, you know, the, the derogatory remarks of women, you know, referring to women as rats, um, telling these stories. I mean, even inappropriate, you know, hazings. I mean, this is, you know, it's, you know, this idea around, you know, I mean, it, it, it goes, you know, it's not just wrestling. I mean, it goes to all sports. It goes to all aspects of, um, of profession, you know, business. It goes up. I mean, geez, I mean, it goes to the White House. I mean, it, it, it goes there. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is not something that we're, you know, what happened was, is we were seeing a, and this is, this is clear, this is my own personal, what I saw, it seemed like wrestling was making the right, the independent wrestling scene was making the right moves towards being accepting and opening up the doors for inclusivity and acceptance and equality and we clearly, you know, we were blinded by a lot of people being, you know, being able to speak out and have those big platforms and, and utilize those things. And, you know, we were given kind of a fall. I think we had a false for a while. We had a little bit of a false sense of, of you know, of safety there. And the truth yeah. is, it, you know, there was a problem. And that problem has been going on. For years, and so, did it really change much? No. Did it get quieter? Yes. It certainly got a lot quieter. But now, I think that there's no way to hide these secrets anymore, and people are out there and speaking, and they're given a platform. And when you speak out and you give yourself a platform and you stand on it. Nobody's gonna. Nobody says anybody's gonna be squeaky clean and 100 percent perfect. And everybody's got their demons, and everybody's got things that they've done wrong and said wrong. Uh, I've certainly done it. I'm sure you've done it too. And we can look back and make regrets. The difference is, is when you're in a position of power, speaking out specifically against or in support of something, and you're doing the exact opposite of what you're telling other people not to do. That's when people get called into this. Usually. You know, it's it gets called in on the other side, you know, the more conservative side of things. We see it, you know, it tends to be there. We're calling it the hypocrisy on there. It hurts more because when it's somebody that we trust or we assume is on the right side of history, and clearly they're not. And so that that you know, that that made things that's made things very difficult for people. And we've had to address that in, in my film. And I think the industry is having to address it. And they're going to continue to have to address it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, well, let's 180. Um, Effie's Big Gay Brunch, which looked like a lot of fun. Um, Effie was talking about it when I interviewed him. Um, oh, 
maybe a year ago now. So he had this in the works for a long time and COVID hit and, you know, it, I'm sure that it could have been bigger than what it was for, you know, the amount of promotion that he put into it, etc. Um, I, I wanted to talk to him about this. Um, the picture that everyone saw with him and Marco stunt, which, you know, you couldn't really post on Facebook because it would get you banned <laughs> like, pretty <laughs> immediately. Um, now, I know Effie and I know to a point what you're going to get if you're going to go and see Effie and if you're going to go to a thing called the Big Gay Brunch as well. I think, it's, you know, there was a twink gauntlet battle royal. It's it's not exactly secretive in what it was, you know, going to be. Um, do you think, what was your opinion on the sort of the backlash to the picture that um, came out of Effie and Marco Stump with the, with the dildo in the ring? Because um, I, th- I think, if nothing else, it got... A lot of people who didn't know Effie now know him. And I think Effie will go out. He will go there to sort of get the word out about his name because he is a businessman. And a lot of people don't realize that he is great at, you know, promoting himself, creating merchandise and stuff like that. In your opinion, was that the right thing to do or, you know, him doing that to get the word out there sort of thing? Who am I to judge what Effie does? I mean, Effie's Effie's his own man. Um, this is not the first time we've seen, you know, sexualized matches. I mean, I've seen it, you know, I watched Joey, Joey Ryan was dick flipping people. Nobody said a word. I watched, uh, I don't know if people weren't saying a word with that. Well, well, not the same way, you know, I mean, I think there's a double standard here. Um, you know, you know, Joey Ryan does it. It's like, you know, it's the dick flip and it's becoming, it's his gimmick and all that stuff. But, you know, I mean, I saw Joey Ryan and Allison Kay have a match together um obviously uh hindsight's 2020 some of this some of this stuff doesn't look good anymore because we know what joey has been accused of and and is out there and kind of you know we we know what the the track record is and you know those are accusations uh i'm disappointed in that but you know allison k brought out a dildo in that mat in a match with him uh so you know joey ryan sticks a lollipop in people's mouths after he sticks it down his pants uh, so Effie, so Effie and Marco chose to do uh, something that was sexualized and uh, adult content. Uh, I don't think Effie's Big Gay Brunch was marketed as child friendly in any way. No. Shape. <laughs> no, uh, certainly was not marketed as child friendly. Um, parents, some, you know, I'm sure there might be a chance that a kid was there and they did see it. Um, certainly I've been at shows where Joey Ryan's been on it and children have been in the audience. Uh, it's up to parents to make those decisions. Do I, who am I to judge Effie on this? Effie made the decision. Marco made the decision to play for it. I personally don't have a problem with it, but I'm also, you know, that's my own opinion and I didn't necessarily have an issue with it and I don't, you know, freak out. Uh, do other people, are other people going to have a problem with it? Well, damn right. I mean, if people are not comfortable with uh, seeing, uh, you know, a dildo match, then they're not comfortable with it. You know, if they're not comfortable with that, oh, it doesn't, it didn't bother me personally, but I'm also not going to be shocked that somebody was offended and that there was some controversy from it. And, you know, See, I was just controversy's put- always been part of this. Wrestling's always yeah. done controversial angles. It's been going back. It goes back for years and years and years. And yes, was this was this was this pushing was this pushing it? Yes, absolutely, it was pushing the boundaries. Uh, but you know, he's not the first. They won't be the last. 
incredibly strange wrestling was doing this stuff in the 90s in San Francisco. Sure. I mean, I have, you know, my associate producer and one of the subjects in the film is Kurt Brown, Vandal Drummond. And he was Lucky Pierre and he wrestled as, you know, wrestled for that company. And they, you know, they had the HIV kid and, you know, they did, you know, they had all these, you know, characters and stuff. You know, they were having dildo matches and hypodermic, you know, dildo matches and stuff. So this isn't, you know, a big you know, this isn't a big surprise that something like this happens. Um, you know, hey, it is what it is. You know, you either like it or you don't. Um, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. Epi's an adult. Marco's an adult. Um, you know, I have problem with behavior, you know, with inappropriate behavior that's not consensual happening at more of these events than I am anything else. And certainly we've had accusations already at that. Um, but again, in terms of the match, Go for it, Effie. I mean, it's his it's his life, it's his story. If he's willing to do it, he makes those decisions. Effie speaks for himself. Effie's Effie, Marco's Marco. Um, everybody's been giving, you know, Marco crap saying you work for AEW now. Well, listen, if Tony Khan and the rest of the executive don't have a problem with this, then who the hell are we to judge that? Um, it's a consensual act, it's not an accusation of a crime. Uh, is it is it off color? Yeah, it is. But Again, it's not my place. You know, those those are two consenting adults performing in a match, deciding to tell that story. And if the people that employ them are willing to accept it and allow it, then so be it. I agree. Yeah, no, I, I was just playing devil's advocate. And your opinion is a, a valued one as a filmmaker with this as well. So I really appreciate that that answer to that. Um, you know, Effie, what I'm hoping people may realize with Effie is how talented he is as a wrestler who can do a lot of different styles as well and you know i think that if you you just look at effie with the the hot pants that say daddy across his ass and the fishnets and everything you know it's you're obviously going to have an immediate um first impression but it is having to get past that first impression he said himself that he doesn't need the hot pants and the fishnets to be able to be effie and have great matches and stuff like that and he's also been an advocate of whatever gets you in the door you know if it um as long as it's you know entertaining and uh not just i guess completely offensive in the sense that it's gonna drive people away you know if it's gonna bring in an audience especially of like lbg um i always get this wrong i'm gay as well and i get the letters mixed up that's really um, bad <laughs> the let, listen the letters can the letters can be switched around it could be l LBGTQ, it could be LGBTQ, it could be GLBT. I mean, I, I, I we understand things happen like that. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. Um, because the thing is, you know, I'm obviously a gay wrestling fan. I got into wrestling when I was a kid, so I didn't know who or what I was. It didn't even occur to me that, like, being – I didn't even know gay was a thing. You know, I just – I was six years old, you know, um, and – Let's face it, in the early to mid-90s, there weren't a lot of really good-looking wrestlers anyway. <laughs> you know, they were all... <laughs> uh, depends on what you wanted, you know? That I mean, is true. That I think true. it was. I mean, listen, I mean, I interviewed Scott McEwen, um, <laughs> the journeyman wrestler uh, in my film, and he's been wrestling for years. And I told him, you know, you know, we were, we were at one point we were going to possibly talk to Austin Idol. And he told me that Austin Idol made his teeth sweat. So, <laughs> you know, so... So, you know, just because you personally didn't have that attraction to somebody, that's a different style of guy. 
there were guys who were into leather that think the Road Warriors were the hottest thing on the planet. Um, you know, I mean, I can look back now and say, you know, I thought, you know, I thought Mitch Snow when he was a young guy in, in AWA was pretty cute. You know, that yeah. would have been one more of my type. But there were clearly people who found different people attractive. I mean, I, you know, there are I have friends of mine who think, you know, Vader's the sexiest man alive or thought he was the sexiest. <laughs> man. Not necessarily my type, but who am I to who am I to um, to uh, tell somebody, you know, that's why, you know, we have different types of body types. And, you know, and, you know, it's it's a whole different thing. Back to the, you know, the discussion around what Epi wears and his outfits. I mean, yeah. Epi is a showman, first and foremost. Uh, but Epi will also, and, and says so in our trailer, that Epi gets to be him, finds that the only time he gets to be his true self is when he's in the ring, his full self. And that's an opportunity to, for him to be the showman that he'd like to be, Every moment of every li in life, you know, he can be flamboyant, he can be aggressive, he can be funny, he can be sexy, he can do all of those things. And one of the things about being an out wrestler and being able to be out is that ability to be able to live your truth in the ring. You know, part of this, part of being a wrestler is, is acting. And when you're you know, you're acting as a character and your character in the ring. And, and that'll be an extension of yourself, of course, in many ways as well. But you're still acting and performing. But the idea is, is that when you're acting, you're supposed to be letting loose and letting free and being free and open. And if by some chance you're closeted and you're not living your truth 110%, then you're holding back a part, part of yourself there. You're holding something back. And it can be reflected in the way that you, the way that you speak, the way that you behave, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you move, the way you perform at your job, all of those things, because you're not living your truth. You're holding something back. So basically, you're keeping a secret. And there's something about being able to live your life in the out in the most outward way as possible. And I'm not saying that means you wave that rainbow flag all over the place. Uh, that you need to stand on a mountaintop and, you know, scream, gay, 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 gay. And there's nothing wrong with doing that either. But, you know, there's a difference, with, you know, when, you know, Effie chooses to come out and wear what he wears, because that's an extension of himself. It's also part of who he is. Sunny Kiss is Sunny Kiss every day. And, and he is that. Uh, and she likes to dress up in whatever... He likes to wear, and she's effeminate, and gender fluid, and living in you know living their, themselves. I mean, Sunny is Sunny. That's sun, That's what Sunny wears. I mean, when I when I used to have when I used to go out with Sunny and Sunny's partner after shows, they'd be wrestling. Sunny had crop tops. Sunny had you know the piercing, tight jeans, effeminate. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a different type of thing. Pero is you know. You know, hyper-masculine, bare, leather, you know. But also, you know, still, those are still things that are part of gay culture. I mean, so, you know, we all make a decision to, but the idea is, is that living, you know, Jake Atlas, you know, being out, I don't feel Jake is is hiding anything anymore. Now, is Jake, Jake's not the most flamboyant. Sonny yeah. is more flamboyant. Uh, you know, it's, it is like who they are. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, that's the thing. I feel like, to a point, there can still be a misunderstanding amongst the the more um, mainstream audience that, you know, people like Sunny Kiss, Effie, etc., are kind of hamming it up. Or I mean, you know, I know with wrestling you have to turn up the volume to a point as well. But I get the feeling that like someone like Effie or Sunny Kiss would even without wrestling they would wouldn't be any different you know and it is very much a case of take them or leave them but this is why they've become self-made people and they've been hired based on obviously their merits as wrestlers or they've started their own companies based on what they're you know able to do as wrestlers as well but it's also their I hate to say personas. I mean, they're real selves. That is the that is almost the well, selling point. And you know, well, there's an there's an act. There's there's an there, no, there's always going to be an aspect of performance in what they do. I mean, they're performers. I mean, you know, at the beginning of my trailer, you know, Scott McEwen says, you know, we're we're actors. We're you know, it's choreography. It's acting. It's performance. And it is an element of that. And you know, you know, Sonny you know, to to say Sonny isn't performing when he comes out and does a dance routine with the Jacksonville Jaguar cheerleaders at the beginning of his match um, would be would be a lie. Uh, yeah. And I think Sonny would say that too. But you know, the fact that what Sonny wears in the ring is not you know is you know is not a lot different than what Sonny wears outside. That's um, the thing. I I get the feeling but, that it's not designed to shock. You know, you know, because no, obviously it is going, it is, it is going to shock people because they're not used to seeing it. You know, um, but it really isn't designed to. Sh- you know, I, um, I know, you know, uh, people who are gender fluid as well, and they clothes are just, it's just whatever makes them feel comfortable, and just they will wear whatever they like, and it's not that big of a deal. Like, you know, well, and 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 the the whole thing isn't based on whether they are gay or not as well because you know you know what it's like if they ended up in WWE there would almost be a heel character just for being gay, uh, which has always been the way you know. Well, I think that's the way it's always been presented. I mean, you know, yeah. heel character, you know, you know, up until the last, you know, maybe the last decade or so. I mean, we're you know probably the last five years. I mean, where mo- you know we don't we don't really see LGBTQ villains per se. And that, you know, they're a villain because they're gay. Like, we're not, we're, we're past the gold dust, you know, gold dust, you know, kissing Ahmed Johnson and giving him mouth to mouth, rubbing up on, you know, that. And, you know, and, it, you know, there is an element of that. And it's still there. I mean, and, and it, you know, because, you know, even, even, you know, people like Dalton Castle and RJ City are skirting that line between the idea of what it means to be feminine and masculine. Uh, not in a negative way, um, but they're certainly playing on it. And you know, Dalton and I, you know, had a talk about it when he found out that I had I was making the film, and he asked me if I was offended by what he was doing, and I said no because nothing you're doing is coming off as hateful or yeah. mocking. Um, as a matter of fact, I mean, you know, we're talking about creating, you know, you know, I mean, Dalton's a badass. I mean, Dalton can fight. You know, Dalton's not running away. And screaming, you know, like you know, a sissy in that sense, you know, the the stereotype of what whatever sissy means. I mean, is yeah. that no? Uh, I mean, it's it's a strange term, you know. But 
you know, these are tough people. These are badasses. And whether you're femme, or whether you're butch, whether you're big and strong and in leather and you're 330 pounds like Mike Perro is, or you're a, a toned professional gymnast dancer like Sonny is, um, or a fairly, you know, husky in shape guy like Effie, or, you know, or a, you know, a, a fairly lithe woman like a, you know, a, like a Charlie Morgan. I mean, who's, you know, you know, she's not a big, she's not a big, you know, strong, powerful, um, you know, larger woman, like a larger woman, like a, you know, a, she's not like an awesome Kong or a Nyla Rose who are bigger women. You know, that, that's just a style of woman that's there. You know, Jazz is a muscular woman. Caitlin Diamond, you know, Raisa Clark, Lola Starr, Charlie Morgan are women who are a little more petite. That doesn't make them any less tough and strong. They find a different way to work. And that's why, you know, I think when you see, you know, the people have always said they've had this problem with, oh, I don't believe that a smaller person could fight a bigger person. Well, you know, through history, I mean, we've had the story of David and Goliath. I mean, you know, obviously you overcome. I mean, that was the storytelling whenever Ricky Morton wrestled a match. You know, Ricky Morton was the underdog. He was the little guy trying to overcome the larger evil character. And so that's, you know, a lot of these stereotypes are inherent in just, you know, storytelling that goes back, you know, centuries and centuries. So for these wrestlers, I mean... You know, they're bringing a level of their own truth and who they are, and everybody looks different, and everybody presents different. You know, there's, you know, quote-unquote butch wrestlers, femme, gender-fluid, non-binary, trans. It's it's a, you know, the, the, rest, the space for LGBTQ wrestling has changed. And, you know, a recent I had a recent discussion where somebody said 2020 was really the year that we saw lgbtq wrestling come forward and this documentary out in the ring is meant to be a way of telling people who don't necessarily who are not necessarily in the know about the history of lgbtq representation in professional wrestling i mean it goes back to the 1940s and we go to now when things have changed and still to this day the majority of people don't think that there's that many out wrestlers um, we were talking about how somebody was doing uh, uh, the QWI, the Queer Wrestling Illustrated, you know, top 25 queer wrestlers. And now they got to go to 100. But the difference is, is that people, the, m m unless you're out there looking for LGBTQ plus wrestlers and you're looking for that representation, you're not going to necessarily see it presented outwardly often. I, you might go online on Twitter and look for the little rainbow flag and the gender markers and, you know, pronouns on somebody's profile. I'm looking for that community. You're looking for that community. Somebody else at home might be looking for that. And that's why those things are there. But for the average wrestling fan, they're not going out of their way to look for, oh, I'm going to go today. I'm going to go looking for to find out who's non-binary, who identifies as they, them, who identifies as he or she. Uh, they're just not, and they're not looking for that rainbow flag or that trans flag that's in somebody's bio. So the idea now with this film is to, one, teach, you know, talk, discuss and present what has been a hidden in plain sight history 
going uh, from the 1940s representations to today's crop of increasing LGBTQ plus performers, but also help those performers know that there really was a history that those, you know, that the, the Susan Greens and the Chris Colts and the Sandy Parkers, uh, you know, uh, later years, obviously we have, you know, Chris Canyon, uh, Simon Sermon on the independence, Scott, you know, Scott McEwen, Sergeant Dixon, you know, working indies in the nineties and early two thousands. But this, this goes back, you know, you know Cassandro, uh, Rudy Reyna, May Flowers, you know, Pimpinela, Escarlata. I mean, from Exoticos to out wrestlers in the 60s and 70s. I mean, Chris Colt was out the whole time. Ron Dupree was out. Uh, Susan wasn't as out, but certainly, you know, was there. Jim Barnett was totally out to everybody. He was totally he out, yeah. Promoter. So, yeah. you know, but again, a lot of these names people are not aware, and they don't know to look for this history. And the idea now is to tell people, listen, they've always been here. This representation has always been here. And, you know, Pollo Del Mar, who's in the film, uh, Paul Pratt, who's a wrestling journalist and drag performer, has said queer, you know, queer representations in pro wrestling have always been very popular. You know, Adrian Street, uh, you know, Adrian Adonis. Gold Dust. I mean, even would you go Pat back as far as Go Gorgeous George? Oh, uh, you could go back to Gorgeous George. Absolutely, yeah. Gorgeous George. You know, uh, yeah. or, or Gardenia Davis in the 1940s, mm -hmm. uh, in the late 40s. Um, Pat Patterson had a uh, an effeminate, flamboyant, uh, gay persona, and that necessary. You know, and that was his one of his first personas when he was first there, when he was with Louis, his partner. Um, and that's the, you know that 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 character was there too, but. You know, so, you know, I mean, and it, it's it, it always there's always been that. Now, the idea has shifted. You know, are we representing LGBTQ performers as villains anymore, per se? No. Are we still playing with people's discomfort around presentation and femininity and masculinity? I think we are a little bit. I mean, I think Velveteen Dream makes a segment of the. Of of a of of the cis the predominantly cis white male community very uncomfortable and it is a predominant space that way but a, a hetero male kind of um, you know it's out to make them a little you know they, you know make them a little uncomfortable and he certainly plays that up it's there I'm not blaming him for it but you know and a lot of that is just in the way that the industry has always done that so there is you know this it's still there and. The idea of what, you know, what we consider somebody, you know, what we consider who somebody is. I mean, it's still, you know, these stereotypes, as much as we want them to kind of go away, uh, they're still there. I mean, and we, I mean, you know, people use them on the other way. I mean, there was a wrestling, indie wrestling promotion that had, uh, you know, the, uh, a, a villain wrestler in, in the South uh, called the Progressive Liberal. Uh, I mean, and it was, you know, they were a Hillary-supporting you know, uh, uh, Democrat professional wrestler, and he was a villain. And, you know, so, you know, it's it's there. I mean, you know, it's always going to be, there's always going to be a segment that's going to be there. Uh, the idea of creating what is a heel and what is the idea, the idea of bullies and bad guys and, you know, the good, you know, good versus evil, all of those things. I think what we have to do, though, is decide 
what is too much and what is, you know, and, and, and where do we, where do we draw that line? Um, just a quick, uh, funny story about the, uh, the goldest Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed Johnson was one of the first wrestlers that I interviewed. And, um, I think he was aware of his, um, what would the word be? Uh, profile in the gay community. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, people loved his, you know, trunks riding up, all that kind of thing. And uh, he said when that uh, sketch with Goldust, um, when Goldust kissed him, Goldust chewed so much tobacco as a Texan that it like almost made Ahmed Johnson vomit when uh, when they did that. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that 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 wouldn't shock me that there was a rib on that 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 Dustin would do that rib. Uh, you know, Ahmed, I mean, Ahmed said as well that he did this uh, photo shoot in his uh, denim hot pants in one of the WWF magazines, and I don't know how he would know this, but he said that that was one of the biggest selling magazines amongst the gay audience. I'm just like, okay, fine. I mean, <laughs> hey, listen, there's a denim and leather crowd that likes that stuff. Right? So, you know, um, it's a, it's the Castro. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. So well, there's so much I want to um ask you and i know we're running a, i mean we may go over if that's if you know i don't want to have a little bit of time yeah sure that's great well i want to ask you about um so your origins as a wrestling fan as well and um you know obviously we're going to talk a lot more about the, uh the documentary but i'm just i'm intrigued because like as i was saying as a six-year-old it certainly wasn't the fact it fact it was you know men and lycra etc i mean as as i got older for me, I guess it it just happened that wrestlers became far more my cup of tea in terms of what I was into anyway. But I did also very much enjoy the show and enjoyed, you know, actually going to a wrestling show and not even think about the whatever sexual side of it there was. But how when did you first discover wrestling and Let's see, I mean I I mean, the first time I really saw wrestling and really was into it was probably around 84, 85. I mean, and that's kind of around the time when, you know, rock and wrestling was starting and the first LJN dolls came out. You know, my first wrestling doll I bought was the Jimmy Snuka doll. Uh, that was the well, one. I'm going to do a whole show on uh, wrestling figures, I think, because I'm a big collector of. Yeah, so the so the LJNs, you know, were were you know a toy that I'd seen, and you know, and, and my my mother was a video rep, so Coliseum video VHS tapes were coming, you know, coming out at that point, and but I grew up in Alberta, so I grew up on the Calgary Stampede territory, so where guys like Owen Hart and Bret Hart and the British Bulldogs and Chris Benoit, and those were the guys that and Brian Pillman, those were the guys that I was watching that were just starting their careers in the mid '80s. Um, and, you know, in the mid to late 80s. So for me, from about 85, so 85 is kind of when I first started, you know, kind of watching, you know, you know, just home on a Saturday afternoon. My parents were out, you know, were kind of, they would go out and do their thing, go shopping, go out for the night or whatever. And my brother and I would kind of stay home and he'd go and do his thing and I'd be home watching TV. And, you know, I just, I discovered, you know, Calgary Stampede Wrestling. And then I, you know, and that was on at two o'clock. And then at three o'clock, it was on the other channel. And then at four o'clock, it was on the other channel. So they'd be running, you know, they would run it, you know, and I'd see all these different characters. And, you know, eventually, you know, the AWA started broadcasting up here in Canada. So that was the next territory that I'd saw. So I started out before even WWE or WWF. I was into Calgary Stampede and AWA. So those were kind of my first experiences. So 
you know, wrestling for me was always about, I didn't have a lot of male role models in my life. I didn't have a lot of them. So, you know, they have these big kind of superheroes. And, you know, the truth is, is these guys that were in Calgary Stampede weren't all that big. I mean, some of them were obviously, you know, Mike Shaw, who would go on to have, you know, be, you know, Norman the Lunatic and Bastion Booger. You know, he was Muck and Sing, you know. but Very underrated, right? Mike Shaw was a great wrestler. And, you know, but, you know, but, you know, Steve DeSalvo came in there, big muscle heads like that. Uh, but the WWE, and of course, you know, at that point, Stu Hart also had a territory deal with, you know, McMahon. I mean, he was using the Hart Foundation, and they were coming up, and the Bulldogs would train out of there. And then he would send down his new guys to train with Stu. And so they'd come down and work the Stampede territory. So, you know, when, when you know, when, when, they, when the WWE recruited Outback Jack, I mean, they sent Outback Jack to Calgary to kind of learn, you know, learn the ropes. Oh, poor, uh, poor Calgary. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, Outback Jack was there, you know, I mean, but at the same time I was there, you know, Ron Starr was there, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Wayne Ferris, Honky Tonk Man, Honky Tonk Wayne, uh, you know, a, so a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of journeymen in there who were working with young talents, and it was also a great place to send new talents or on-the-rise talents, you know, you know, Conan Chris Walker would come through Calgary, and, you know, even the AWA would use some of them, and, you know, and they would trade talent. And so that's how I kind of got into it. And then Owen, of course, in 88 would come up and work as the Blue Blazer. Uh, you know, it's the first, you know, kind of, you know, coming out of there. Um, by the early 90s, you know, then we start seeing, you know, Chris Benoit going over to Japan. Even Biff Wellington going out, who was a great wrestler that worked out of Calgary with him. Um, Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman were a great tag team together. But, you know, I saw Rip Rogers and Goldie Rogers and Duke Myers and all, you know, Ron Starr and, you know, David Schultz. I mean, you know, I didn't see David Schultz in the WWE. I saw David Schultz work in Calgary and he was working Calgary post-slapping post Stossel. So, I mean... You were spoiled in terms of what you were, what you were exposed to. Well, I mean... You know, I mean, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little older. I mean, I, you know, I came of age in the, you know, kind of the you know, mid-80s. Uh, so I, you know, I knew who the territory guys were and just, you know, so it was an opportunity to grow up in that. I mean, by the two thousands, I'd kind of lost, I was kind of losing interest at that point. You know, I was, you know, I was coming out and, you know, it was nightclubs and dance clubs and partying and things like there. And I was in a relationship with somebody who didn't particularly like wrestling, but it was always there. I was always still a fan, uh, a little less, you know, and then I kind of rekindled my love for it in and around, you know, um, 2010, uh, which is when I kind of started deciding, you know, maybe I wanted to do a film on LGBTQ pro wrestlers. Uh, at that point, I've been working in the film industry for a while, uh, moving along, trying to figure out what it was that I would, how I would do that story. And when I first started putting it together, the angle would be, why aren't there more out pro wrestlers? And kind of try to uncover, you know, and find and unearth um, you know, closeted pro wrestlers or wrestlers who came out after they left wrestling and kind of tell that history story. Um, by the time, you know, 2017 had rolled around, I mean, we'd seen Darren Young coming out, uh, the TMZ thing, more and more people were starting to come a lot, come, come of age, you know. And then now we get to today where, you know, we've got hundreds of out, you know, examples on the independent circuit and even to some extent at the top of the card. Uh, it could be a little better. To see more, we'd, I'd like to see more out representation, but I think AEW has done a 
fairly fairly great job. I mean, I think you've got Diamante and you've got Anthony Bowens and Sonny and Nyla and Layla Hirsch is there. Um, you know, I mean, these are these are out people. Uh, so, you know, there's that. And then, in, you know, WWE, you've got Tegan and, you know, NXT, you've got Viper, you know, Piper Niven. And you have, you know, I mean, and you've got, you know, Jake Atlas, of course, and uh, Daria Benedetto. Uh, so we're seeing these, we're seeing, you know, we're certainly seeing it. But if you look at the percentage base of where somebody is, you know, um, who's out, who's not out, and where, where they are top of the card... I mean, there's still a lot to be done, but it's, you know, we're seeing positive movements forward. I don't think we're quite there yet. I think we're still some time off to where what Billy Dixon says, you know, in the film, proving that a wrestler can sell merch, proving it to the bigger companies that, you know, they can, they, that it can be top of the card, that they can that. And certainly AEW try, has tried a little bit. With Sonny, I mean, putting him in the match with Cody was wonderful, and yeah. I think he did great things. Uh, but I do, you know, part of me, you know, I get what they were doing with the Kenny Omega storyline, but I do feel like they dropped the ball a little bit. I would have liked to have seen Sonny and Kenny have a competitive match. It would have been nice, but I get it. I get the storytelling angle, you know, the idea that, you know, we're trying to put, you know, Kenny over as this badass who could do that. It's unfortunate it had to be at the you know, at the expense of Sonny's character. But I, I think he'll be okay in the long run. Um, and it'll be good to see where they take these, where they take these characters and how they, uh, how they move them forward. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing, you know, the needles, the needle shifting. Uh, is, there's a lot more to go. Uh, there's a lot more in terms of, you know, just, you know, finding a space for these performers and giving them more of a platform. And I'm not saying that means standing on stage with a rainbow flag, like, like uh, Perro did, um, and Perro didn't. That wasn't even Perro's idea. That was Sean Davari's. That was Davari's. Um, uh, you know, um, he was the producer on that segment when he was the one who encouraged Perro to take the rainbow flag and put it on and walk out there and be him do that. Uh, and he just said that in a, in an interview that came out in the last day or so. Now, I didn't know that. Uh, so. You know, and of course, that's since you know that's happened since I interviewed Perro back in 2018 for the film. Uh, but you know, so there's a lot going on here. Um, there's a lot more to be done. There's a lot more work to be done in terms of making the space safer for LGBTQ plus pro wrestlers to um, combating you know the issues around race and gender equality and non-binary and trans performers and making sure that you know, one, we have safer spaces, but that two, that those performers can also work outside of the LGBTQ plus spaces, you know, and that, and, and the idea that, you know, and Effie brought it up in his promo at Rise um, about a year and a half, about a year, a year ago, a year and a half ago, and said, you know, all of these wrestlers are going to, you're going to book all of them for June during Pride Month, and you're going to book them there, and then you're just going to go back and the promoters aren't going to book them anymore. Yeah. And and that's, you know, and that's still a problem. I mean, there's still an idea around a lot of these performers only get booked when they're working a pride show. I mean, people didn't know some of these talents that are out there. And certainly there are promoters like Effie and Billy Dixon and, and Lola McGrath that are trying to book these performers and book them, you know, more reg, you know, book them more regularly. 
And there are LGBTQ promotions like Pride Championship Wrestling out of Texas and San Antonio, which has been around since 2012. There were promotions before that that started in 2000, 2005, 2006 that were LGBTQ plus uh, shows run by out performers. So, you know, it's been there. It just hasn't always been as, you know, accessible. And there hasn't yeah. always been this tool. Like the Internet has allowed these talents to find each other. And I'm finding out about out talents all the time from other wrestlers and other wrestling groups. I mean, I didn't know, you know, you know, I mean, there was, there was, there was a, a guy named, a wrestler named Raven, not Raven Raven, yeah. um, who was a, Raven Clark, who was a WWE enhancement talent who was, who was gay. Uh, I didn't know about Raven Clark. I've befriended Raven Clark since then. I didn't know, but you know, you can go online and find Raven Clark wrestling the Undertaker um, on, uh, you know, on, you know, I think it was on probably on a main event or something like that. But you know, so you've got those workers are out there, so they were there, they were always there. And then an Australian wrestler uh, who just retired in 2000 or so um, reached out to me and said, "Thank you for making the film. I've been out since the 1980s, and I wrestled from the, you know, you know, all through the 90s and the early 2000s." I didn't know who this guy was, and he was in the Australian scene. So they've been there. We've been there. Yeah, I've got to. I've got to say, like Effie, particularly, you know, um, opened up a lot of uh, sort of doors for me in terms of knowing that this was out there because I, I just didn't know there was either, and it's, uh, you know, astounding in like the best possible way because I get to show friends as well who maybe have a preconceived notion of what you know gay wrestling or lgbt because you see the you see the sort of um the warehouse wrestling and stuff like that and i think that that's what people a lot of like straight wrestling fans maybe associate with gay wrestling in inverted commas um you know those kind of photo shoot oh well custom wrestling is a whole different thing i mean women do that and, well, and that's what that went back. To, I mean, the actor mags used to report on apartment wrestling and stuff like that. So that's yeah. certainly not nothing new, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, custom custom wrestling and apartment wrestling—that's something that that's a completely different thing. And I mean, I guess that's the idea is that we need to kind of get to a point of differentiating it, differentiating that. I mean, yeah. there are allies in wrestling, friend, you know, friends of mine who are really great wrestlers who we all know uh, that. They still do, you know. They do customs and did customs and did sexy wrestling. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to name who they are. It's up to them to talk about it. Some of them, you know, you know, it was in their past, and uh, and you know, if it comes up, it comes up. Uh, but this is the, you know, this is the thing. It's like let's differentiate what this is. These are out who These are wrestlers who happen to be out. They are presenting a part of themselves, and in a lot of, in some cases, as Effie said being their true self in the ring and being everything that they want to be able to, they can be at all moments of the time. You know, Epi doesn't have to hold anything back in that ring. Yeah. Mike Perro doesn't have to hold anything back in that ring anymore about who he is. And everything that you see Perro in the ring is what Perro is. Perro's a badass in life. Um, you know, he can beat you up. He can, he can pound back a beer. He's a big burly dude, but he can be a teddy bear as well. I mean, he can be a nice guy and quiet. Sonny is an effeminate, 
person presents that way is athletic and loves to dance and twerk. And that's Sonny. Um, and then, you know, Sonny, but Sonny can, you know, Sonny at the same time, you know, huge, the huge Limp Bizkit fan, you know. There are a lot of, there's so many straight wrestlers who could only dream of being as interesting as some of the LGBT wrestlers out there. You know, know, I think of how wonderful and amazing, you know, people like, you know, Caitlin Diamond and, you know, and and Charlie Morgan who don't get enough, you know, that. I mean, I mean, I see them and I mean, you know, I, I, there's a lot, you know, a lot of these great performers out there and, you know, I mean, you know, everybody's, you know, Nyla, yeah, in the ring, Nyla Rose is the native beast. Nyla Rose is this big, intimidating woman. But you watch Nyla on a red carpet, Nyla's in, you know, floral dresses and very, you know, loves that stuff, loves her pretty colors, loves her flowers, loves the, loves her makeup. She's, she's, you know, that's, that's, that's what she loves. She loves to wear that. And she loves fashion and she loves all of those things. In the ring, if that's, you know, that's, that's another side of Nyla. Nyla, that's all facets of her as a woman. And, and, you know, I mean, and there's no... You know, that, you know, that's that's what's wonderful about it is being able to be yourself and be out. It doesn't have to be everything about you. It's a part of who you are. But the ability to be able to say that I am who I am. This is who I am. And and that's how we present. And everybody, each performer's experience in the diaspora of wrestling, not just LGBTQ plus wrestling, but independent wrestling, uh, international, the international stage of that is very, very different. And the way that wrestlers today get to work versus the way that performers like Susan Green and, and you know, and, you know, Chris Colt was obviously a little more out. Well, the way Ernie, some, Ernie Roth, you know, one of my favorites. Ernie uh, Roth, the Grand Wizard. I mean, yeah. the way that these people, you know, Pat Patterson, again, the idea of hiding in plain sight. Yes, Susan, you know, people knew Susan was, was a lesbian behind the scene. Uh, those who needed to know knew. Uh, fans didn't necessarily know, uh, but Susan, you know, Susan had to, you know, Susan had to downplay it and hide it from Moolah. Uh, yes. Sandy Parker had to do the same thing. Um, Pat Patterson wasn't out to the fans. You know, this is, you know, this is, yeah. the thing, is that, you know, hiding the idea of hiding in plain sight for some of these people. And then in, in some cases you had, you know, people like Chris Canyon who were completely in the closet up until a certain point, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I've talked to wrestlers who interacted with him throughout the 90s on things like ICQ and all those chat groups and, you know, lines and stuff. And they were, you know, it, there were ways that they were interacting in that, but there was, but it wasn't the same way. The access to having somebody else to speak to and share your story uh, wasn't there. And it is now. So there's an, incre- you know, there's a great, it's, it's great that there's more of it, uh, but there's still so much more that needs to be dealt with. Absolutely. And I want to, um, in the last part of the, our interview, want to delve completely into the documentary, but two questions about um, specifically WWF back then and WWE now. Um, a more positive thing is, uh, uh, I guess, uh, unlikely, well, not unlikely, but just unexpected ally of the LGBT community was Finn Balor. And he had the, the rainbow shirt and was very vocal about his support on um, on Instagram. And he got 
a lot of abuse from fans like oh, i can't believe that you you know you must be gay because you are a supporter of lgbtq rights and it's just, it's insane like i love that i love the picture that he took he didn't post it until he got out of saudi arabia but it's him stood in the middle of that stadium wearing his uh, rainbow shirt and you know i think if he was still in the country at the time he probably would have got arrested for wearing that but um with luckily you know thankfully wwe didn't put their fingerprints all over that and it was just kind of allowed to it wasn't even really mentioned on screen it just was what it was and the fact that he wore the the rainbow shirt and the rainbow on his boots and on his trunks was just kind of like it was this beautiful kind of like yes this is like someone who is a huge name who you know doesn't hurt that he's got a tight little bod as well you know screw it <laughs> um it, but um you know it's it, it's just a wonderful thing but it was also quite sad that it seemed like that was the first time that wwe really really got behind anything like that including darren young who was recently let go at the time that Finn Balor started wearing all, you know, the the rainbows and everything, and um, and the, I just wanted to get your opinion on on that, but also WWF's prior attitude of um, you know, having uh, Canyon dress up as Boy George and coming out of the the box, as in out of the closet, yeah. uh, or when they would talk about. Um, Steve Lombardi uh, being from the Terry Garvin School of Self Defense, like just relentlessly every week. Um, you know, it's unbelievable that that stuff is still allowed to be seen on the network without, like, just they, they never apologize for it or they never, um, I guess, you know, um, sort of tried to justify it or anything like that. It's just there and it would go over a lot of people's heads, but I think it's just going to. I think the fact that it's still on the network without any kind of explanation or any kind of justification or whatever, I think, you know, I think the f they should really take it upon themselves to educate the fans as well, being the biggest company in the world. You know, I think we've got to reconcile the fact that they're never going to do that. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're gonna just, you've got to just reconcile it that they're never going to do it. You know, listen, Vince still isn't learning his lessons. Uh, on, and in terms of a number of things and, you know, ways that, you know, they've kind of, you know, overlooked uh, controversies around racism, uh, accusations of sexual misconduct, uh, various things. So they're not addressing this and they're not going to do it because Vince has never dealt well with conflict uh, yeah. in any of these, in any of the history. Um, and, you know, Vince was never afraid to, you know, uh, throw somebody under the bus on the way. So the early 90s sex scandal, I mean, with Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, and Mel Phillips, uh, was, was an uncomfortable thing. Uh, um, we now know that Terry Garvin and Mel Phillips were guilty of misconduct. Uh, nobody's ever said that Pat Patterson probably didn't have a rib or play like one of the boys, say something off color, do anything like that. What we do know is that Pat Patterson was thrown under the bus there. And that a lot of people accuse Pat of things that we've now since seen recanted. You know, Billy, Billy Graham uh, most egregiously saying that he saw Pat Patterson sexually assaulting a young boy. Yeah. Uh, we now know that Billy Graham has since recanted that story and he's done interviews about saying how Pat Patterson is the reason why he is where he is today, where he was, where he made it in wrestling, and how Pat was such a mentor to him. 
and 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 that was and it was insane. Uh, that you know there were you know there's a few other things you know that have been you know people have accused him of Pat because Pat was an easy target because he wasn't out. Uh, they could easily you know he was hiding again hiding in plain sight. So you know Pat was ultimately let go with all of those people and eventually brought back into the fold. Um, again, is it was Pat is Pat um, a perfect angel in in the world? No. Did he probably slap an ass at some point? Yeah. Did he probably hit on somebody? Yeah, but guess what? The same thing happened with guys and that, with heterosexual guys hitting on women and doing things. You know, when I hear about guys, you know, soaping up people in the locker room or sticking their thumb up somebody's butt, you know, in a match and doing things like that. This is not behavior. You know, this is not good. It was, as I said, is it appropriate? No. I mean, it's locker room behavior. It's a bunch of guys being, you know, being a bunch of, you know, a bunch of goofballs and bullying and, you know, and hazings and things like that. And so there's so much of that that was prevalent. Now, luckily, we're seeing less and less of that. I mean, we still hear stories about people saying, hey, you know, you, you know, this person put his penis in somebody's hand or made them shake it, uh, you know, as a backstage rib. This, some of this stuff is still there. And, I mean, it's, you know, it's still going to be, you know, there's always going to be somebody who's going to take, he's going to push the boundary and do something inappropriate. Uh, but Pat Patterson was definitely a victim of homophobia uh, and was certainly an easy target. Uh, and there were still those people who, to this day, still believe that Pat Patterson did things inappropriately. Uh, I spoke extensively with his biographer, Bert Randy Bear, who wrote Accepted. And, uh, you know, by the time we wanted to talk to Pat, Pat had kind of felt he had exhausted his story. You know, the WWE had done their one-hour documentary on him. And really, you know, delved into it. And the book was really, you know, something, you know, that was Pat's final, you know, okay, I don't have to talk about this anymore. I'm going to share everything about me. I'm going to do this. And that's, that's what happened with Pat. And uh, it's, you know, I mean, it's, you know, and so Pat was, you know, Pat was a victim of that. But, you know, but so was, so were people like Chris Colt. You know, Chris Colt might have been out, but Chris Colt, uh, you know, had dealt with addiction issues and people were felt. You know, people were, you know, they were preventing him. You know, he would be, you know, he would march at a pride parade. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, there'd be a photo of him in a magazine or something. And then he did an adult, you know, he did an adult, an adult film. I mean, so there were things that, you know, there were tragedies that, you know, that occurred in this point. And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, wrestling's had a history of, you know, uh, addiction issues, of abuse scandals, of um, inappropriate representation, racism. Yeah. Uh, misogyny. I mean, these are not things that haven't been prevalent. Um, they've, again, been brought to the head because I think we were getting to, I think wrestling was getting to a space where, oh, wow, we've, we've turned a corner and we're so much more inclusive and so much more open and intergender matches and women are equal to men. And then we find out, you know, that somebody's, you know, sexually assaulting somebody. And somebody's inappropriately touching somebody or somebody is on a, in a chat room, you know, sending pictures to underage people. Uh, you know, this, this is not stuff before, and it's probably going to continue to happen. Uh, the idea is, is how do we go about trying to make this better, but still acknowledge the fact that, you know, there's going to always be some work to be done. We just have to get to a point where it's not necessarily going to be as bad as it once was. And we're getting there. Um, but I think there's still a lot more to be done. Well, I do think this uh, documentary is certainly going to be a big step towards that, especially, you know, even if 
um, you don't know some of the independent wrestlers who are involved in this. Uh, you know, you have uh, you have Bertrand speaking. I mean, he, he doesn't speak on behalf of Pat, but obviously, as his co-biographer, he no, I mean, absolutely. knows more about Pat than most people. And I'm sure he, if Pat was uncomfortable about Bertrand, I interviewed Bertrand, and you know, it was it was perfectly fine. You were basically allowed to ask him whatever, and he could all, all he could do is give you his honest you know answer and um opinion on things well, um, well it's not even so much opinion bertrand is in a way in a form a messenger for pat i mean he pat shared those stories so and they're and they're not they're not not on record i mean they're true. in the book so everything's there um and you know and he's able to talk about you know the the pain and to hurt the hurt to this day that pat still feels by you know being by the accusations uh, and, you know, again, you know, it's, you know, there, there's always going to be rumors. I mean, there's, you know, people to this day still tell the rumor about, you know, Virgil and, you know, taking his penis out and stuff. And, and that Steve Lombardi and Pat Patterson were lovers and stuff like that. You know, listen, who cares either way? Yeah. Whatever this is, it is what it is. Um, you know, those are consenting adults. I, you know, those stories are always going to be floating around. Uh, I, you know, I talked to Susan Green at great length, who knew Pat and Louie incredibly well. And she tells a lot of great stories in the film about them and her relationship and friendship with them. Uh, her relationship with Jim Barnett, her tag team partnership and friendship with, with Sandy Parker. I mean, if she knew Chris Cole, I mean, there's a lot of stories here. You know, Susan... You know, for me, Susan is my one legend, physical legend in the film, who can speak to that time and that place. And her presence in the film was so important when we couldn't necessarily, you know, when Pat had kind of said, you know, listen, thank you. Uh, I'm just not, you know, I'm, I, I, I've, I've exhausted my, you know, I've exhausted myself by writing this book and, you know, doing this thing for WWE. Uh, I just don't feel I'm in a place to do this. Susan was there and able and willing, and nobody had really talked to Susan. Uh, Susan was able to bring in a lot more stories that um, people people didn't know. Uh, people are going to learn a lot about you know about that about that era and and her and those people. And that's why I also have people like Bertrandy Bear and and Vandal Drummond, Kurt Brown, and Greg Oliver in the film. Because they know those stories as well. I mean, they know those performers. And, you know, we've got younger people, you know, people like, you know, Jordan Marquez, who runs Demand Lucha in Toronto, worked as a luchador and worked in Mexico. So he was an expert on, you know, on Mexican wrestling uh, and knew the history of the Exoticos and knew about those characters and could talk at length and offer a little insight into that. Now, Jordan's an ally, but Jordan also worked with those people and he knows those performers. So I had no problem bringing certain allies who had a sense of history and an understanding. Uh, they brought a different perspective uh, to it. And then, you know, to have them kind of offset with these, uh, you know, with these amazing performers who are all members of the community who could bring, you know, it, bring, it brings a full circle. And, uh, you know, my goal with the film is to hopefully introduce those who have no interest in pro wrestling uh, much the same way, you know, somebody like Ruth Lightman did with Lipstick and Dynamite or Barry Blaustein did with uh, Beyond the Mat. Bring, you know, make a film that can hopefully introduce 
people not only within the L- the, large, the broader LGBTQ community, uh, but also the the general population who are just fans of documentaries looking for something you know unique. And if I can, you know, make a film that potentially can make somebody who had no interest in the subject stand up, take notice, and want to learn, you know, and and want to watch it and want to learn more, then I've done my job. Wonderful. And and the thing is as well, you know, I mean, one such a diverse uh, list of names from different eras. If I get to hear stories about Ernie Roth and, um, you know, Jim Barnett, great, because there's not a lot out there about them. And, you know, Ernie Roth, I'm such a huge fan of The Grand Wizard. And, you know, I, you probably know this, but when... Um, Right after he passed away, his first TV appearance, Vince and Pat are doing the commentary and they talk about, they pay a little tribute to Ernie Roth, but they they have to do it in a kayfabe way. That he was just like, he was an evil manager, but, you know, rest in peace, you know. Um, yeah. And Slaughter was the first person who came out who was managed by Ernie at the time. And yeah. they... It was just, it was heartbreaking. I don't know if it was on purpose, but he kind of kept looking into the corner for Ernie's you know, for him to be there and he wasn't there. And then they kind of incorporated it into a couple of matches where Slaughter lost because he didn't have the Grand Wizard um, there. And um, you must, I'm assuming you will have seen this. I think it was, um, it was the the Paul Vachon wedding, um, the first WWF wedding, when they have the, the reception and they have a tape, they have all the tables and there's a table for the managers and there's seats for, um, for, Albano for Blassie for maybe Jimmy Hart or whatever, but there's an empty seat that was for the wizard. It's just uh, like the respect that I know the McMahon family had for the grand wizard just speaks volumes. I mean, he was on the cover of their program uh, magazine as soon as he died and they never really did tributes like that at the time. And, um, you know, I, I, I want, I'm hungry to hear more about the grand wizard and his personal well, absolutely you know, you know i, I yeah. want to see more you know i mean we, we i mean we don't obviously go into too much you know we don't go into great depth there's a lot to cover certain there's, stuff and yeah. jim barnett you know i mean i would have loved to have had more i'd love to have more stuff on pete thornley you know i'd love to talk more about kendo negasaki i'd love to talk at greater length about that you know you know in his you know i mean obviously you know british wrestling i mean you know pete you know pete's important there uh, you know, so there's, um, you know, and, you know, in the, the representation component, you know, with Adrian Street, I mean, there's a lot of, there is a lot of all of that. So, I mean, there's so much, you know, there's so many different people that we know about now, uh, you know, again, and it's important. Susan, you know, Susan touches on some of that uh, and, you know, touches on those people that she had relationships with and she knew about. There's a few people that I asked her about that since then we, you know, we're not going to include in the film. They, we know the families have disputed whether those people were were gay, and you know we you know wow. and, and out of respect, I'm not here to out them, uh, and you know we'll we'll do what we can with that, you know we'll uh, you know down the road. I mean, there's you know we've got you know hours and you know you know dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of interview footage to go through and include and you know archival and photos. So you know I'm just excited to finish the film and have it ready to go uh, next year and uh, see what the world says. And as a documentary as well, it does its job that if it sparks an interest in the subject to the point where you can go and do research yourself, then great. And yep. I'm sure this will be, like, I can't wait to see this. I'm really, really excited. Just based on the trailer, and there will be a link uh, for the trailer below the show. Um, it is, uh, there's currently a fundraiser on uh, gogetfunding.com. Um yep. 
where you are offering a, a, a range of uh, really cool perks, uh, lots of film branded memorabilia yep. and uh, and more. Um, you know, it's great that the 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 personalities themselves have gotten involved in um, offering some of the perks as well. Yep, and, we're excited. There's 44 days. By the time this goes up, there'll be a few less days, but there's still yep. more than enough time to um, to uh, sort of visit. And it's one of those things where it doesn't have to reach its target, does it? Or... It does not have to reach the target. So we're okay. just trying to raise as much. I mean, we set a goal. Obviously, we have to set a goal. Um, we've set it in around uh, 50,000 now. Uh, and, you know, we're hoping that, we, you know, if we can raise, you know, a little more, uh, it just takes off, you know, it just um, makes it that much easier to uh, cover some of the expenses, you know. I mean, um, I'm, I've been, you know, putting my own money into this uh, all along and will continue to do so to make sure that it's finished. But anything that could alleviate some of the pressure, you know, I mean, things like, you know, there's 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 uh, legal costs, uh, insurance that comes with releasing a film globally. Um, you know, we got to pay. You got to finish paying the music rights. You know, we've got to fit. You know, we've got to fix the sound, the color. Those, so those are things that are there. Uh, I mean, we're fine. You know, we're, we're on our way. You know, the editor's been being paid all along. We're working with him and uh, our editor, Brad Webb, uh, you know, cut his teeth working, uh, working on some of the extra stuff for uh, Peter Jackson on the Hobbit films and Lord of the Rings. Uh, Brad is also a producer now on the film. And so Brad was the guy responsible for cutting that trailer and, uh, you know, listening to me and working with me at great length. He's also a wrestling fan. So that no, that worked out. I mean, it's been a long road and with lots of ups and downs and things that we couldn't anticipate from pandemics to sex scandals, <laughs> yeah. sex scandals to, um, you know, uh, you know, problems with certain producers that we've had to we've had to, uh, you know, funding falling through all of the things that come with making independent film. And so it's not exclusive to my film. It's uh, it's a pretty common story. Uh, but you know we'll get there, and you know the struggle, you know the struggle, struggles there. But you know the journey is part of this trip, and you know and hopefully you know at the end of it, you know that the film, the filmmakers are proud that they contributed their stories, and that then eventually that audiences. Uh, it's going to be wonderful, and and you know we we've barely uh, tapped into your filmmaking history as well. Hopefully we can do a part two on this, and as well, and obviously happy to talk some other time the amount of wrestling that we can talk about as well. I think it's, it's kind of one of those weird things that if you are, if you are out, I think, and a wrestling fan, people are shocked to a point that you genuinely know what you're talking about as a wrestling fan. You're not just watching it for men in hot pants, basically. <laughs> like if you're actually genuine, it's kind of like this, I guess, it, you know, it's, it's just a preconception really. Cause it, it, I can't necessarily say that I find, you know, I mean, yeah, there's some very attractive men in wrestling. There's some very attractive women in wrestling. Yeah. Uh, but the truth is, is that, you know, they're not necessarily my type. Uh, yeah. What I do know is that I've always loved wrestling. Uh, I certainly wasn't getting, I certainly wasn't physically attracted to, uh, you know, Bastion Booger or Mike Shaw. <laughs> and I certainly wasn't attracted to Jerry, Champagne Jerry Morrow and Bad News Brown. Um, you know, but I'm sure, you know, but hey, but, you know, but somebody might have been, uh, they just weren't my type. Those weren't my things. Uh, what I knew is I loved, ba I loved Bad News Brown and I loved the Cuban assassin and I loved those bad guys and I loved Rip Rogers. Uh, but, you know, whereas my friend, I have friends of mine who had a huge crush on Rip Rogers because he, had, you know, he had a great physique and, you know, and they, they just thought he was an attractive man. That was their type. Um, for me, wrestling has always been about, you know, story again, about storytelling, about choreography, um, 
you know, the wrestlers that I, you know, that I really, truly love, you know, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I grew up as a kid, loved Snuka, but I grew, you know, I grew up on that Calgary Stampede stuff, which was a lot of Smash Mouth stuff. Uh, but, you know, but guy, you know, but guys like Benoit as well were there and the Bulldog. Uh, but, you know, my favorites, you know, I mean, you know, Arn Anderson, you know, I love those guys. I mean, I love tough guys. You know, I love badasses. I, I love Japanese death matches as much as I love you know, uh, classic women's wrestling, uh, as much as I like, uh, you know, luchadors, there's different types of wrestling for everybody. And, you know, there's things that I still shut off. Uh, I, I watch, you know, I probably watch less WWE main product or main roster shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll watch, I'm more likely to watch NXT UK and NXT than I am to watch SmackDown or Raw, but I still keep an eye on them. I do watch what's going on. Uh, and I'm more likely to watch AEW right now. I'm I just particularly, I, it's just a product that I prefer. Um, it's, you know, but I also, but at the same time, I have, you know, I have Fight TV and I have IWTV. You know, I'm watching indie stuff as much as I'm watching, you know, as I'm watching main, you know, the, the quote unquote main product or the, uh, the, 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 gen, you know, the, the larger company product. So, you know, that's, that's where I am. Is, you know, I, first and foremost, you know, you know, yes, I'm, Yes, I'm a member of the LGBTQ plus community, uh, but first and foremost, when it comes to this topic, I'm a wrestling fan, and I genuinely, Absolutely. genuinely do still love wrestling. And and it, I don't think it should be a shock to anyone that wrestling, you know, sexuality in wrestling has played a part for decades now. I mean, I mean, it kind of. You know, it's for me. This is still kind of modern era. But look at the Rock and Roll Express. They were there as you know, the, the women, the audience of women shot up as soon as they entered the territory. Mm -hmm. Or Terry Taylor back then, or you know, um, absolutely. And just because they sex, you know, WWE sexualized women a lot more in the late nineties to you know uh, the mid to late two thousands, and they weren't openly doing it with men as much. Um, you know, I think people seem a bit shocked that they it has been done with men, but in a more subtle way. You know, well, look at Rick Rude. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean the whole idea of Rick Rude, right, was that he was the, you know, the stripper Lothario. I mean, you know, that was his thing, right? You know, you know, bring in a woman, you know, kiss her in the ring, stand over her and gyrate. Um, you know, the idea that he could be, you know, that you know. You know that that's that's it's all been there. I mean, all of these stereotypes are there. I mean, this is you know, wrestling has always been about creating characters and trying to do that positive and negative representations and all of this. Now the hope hope is is that we can do better. Uh, as time goes on, we have to do better. I mean, this is the way. I mean, we learn. You know, we've learned just like just like in general life, we learned that you know, you know, um, that slave owning is not a good thing. You know, we know that. <laughs> yeah. We know that. You know, we know that now, but there are, you know, although granted, you know, what's going on in the current state of the world in the United States, I mean, some of them might actually think that it is a good idea. But, but that being said, I mean, I think we all know that, you know, that's, you know, xenophobia is wrong, homophobia is wrong, racism is wrong, misogyny is, is wrong. And, and, you know, we're getting better. We're Absolutely. getting, we're getting better. And the idea is to, you know, through, you know, and the only way we improve this is through it by example and by being truthful and honest and calling out shit when we see it and doing whatever we can to make this better for everybody. Well, that's a wonderful uh, place to end it right there. Um, out in the ring, uh, this will be out in 2021 and will be available wherever, I'd imagine. 
uh, yeah, you know, we're just going to get it finished and get it ready to come out this spring, uh, spring or early summer. And uh, festivals first. Or? Festivals first. That's the goal. And then uh, from there, hopefully, uh, we'll turn it around fairly quickly. I, I don't want to spend too much time on the festival circuit. I'd kind of like it to be able to, uh, you know, to kind of have its moment in the sun, so the, uh, the, you know, the subjects of the film can experience it with an audience and share it and, and you know, have their moment. But then make sure that everybody else can access it because. Obviously, you know, there are people in parts of this world that aren't going to have a, not going to necessarily have a festival by then. And they, they're going to need, they're going to need to see this story. That is true. That is true. Well, it's been a pleasure to chat. Um, we went into a lot of different areas that I wasn't really expecting, but that's a, that's a good thing. Good thing being from Curveballs. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, um, excellent. And, uh, you know, I look forward to keeping in touch and I really look forward to seeing uh, the film out in the ring again, uh, go get funding.com links will be below the show. Bye, bye, bye. Find all the stuff and buy it and support the film. Otherwise Thank you I'll, so much. Otherwise I'll come around to your house and I'll judge you <laughs> personally. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll hit you over the head with a news, rolled up newspaper and call you a bad boy or something. Um, some people may like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop right. now before I dig the, hole any deeper right okay thank you all for tuning into this week's episode of hands off the merchandise with rye levy and i will see you all again next week bye